Now about spiritual gifts, brothers. I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same God. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works, in, uh, works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, by the same Spirit. Um, To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them uh, to each one just as He determines. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all of its parts, um, and, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free. And we are all given one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, It would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. Um, If the the whole body were an eye, where would its sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed first all of the apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds uh, of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? 
but eagerly desire the greater gift. And now I will show you the most excellent way. Lovely. Thank you very much. Good morning, everyone. How you all doing? Good, good, good. Still with us? Bibles at the ready? (laughs) Anyone? No? Okay, yes, good. Excellent. So here we are in chapter 12. Only four chapters to go. Pretty soon you'll be able to say that there is nothing you don't know about Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. You'll all be experts, sort of. Perhaps not, but I hope you're learning something. And um, over the last few weeks, Steve has been um, uh, suggesting that perhaps he has had the more difficult um, chapters and I've had the easier ones. Um, and le- I mean, let's be honest, he's right, isn't he? Um, it may not have been a deliberate decision, but I'm certainly glad it worked out that way. Um, and I'm very grateful for his teaching last week because I, it, I think it's helped us to understand what is quite a difficult chapter. So thank you for that, Steve. And there isn't any uh, of those verses this week that make us want to um, put our Bible down and turn on Netflix instead. Um, but it doesn't mean to say the chapter's not without its challenges, so we're going to have a look at it together. Now, last week, Steve told us that um, in chapter 11, Paul begins to address um, some of the issues that the Corinthians were having in their times of worship together. So um, their church services, um, if you like, if it's easy to think of it that way. And he starts that in chapter 11, and this um, discourse of his continues all the way to the end of chapter 14. Um, And the second half, the end of chapter 14, um, Paul concludes by giving some very um, practical um, and, again, some very culturally specific um, advice for the church in Corinth. And it's our job to kind of unpick what's behind that advice and the reason um, that he's speaking to the church in this way. And I think... Primarily over these few chapters, his heart is that he wants the church, he wants the gatherings that they have together to be um, times where they can um, be encouraged, where they can grow together, where they can support each other, where they can love each other. And of course, that's um, our hope with our church services as well. So last week he spoke about being culturally respectful and he spoke about being mindful of others, especially the poor. And now in chapter 12, he's going to be talking about spiritual gifts. Don't panic. This isn't spooky. It's not weird, okay? This is all very normal. And actually, Paul talks about these things very um, matter-of-factly. This is something that was occurring in Corinth, and uh, let me just talk about spiritual gifts for a minute, perhaps if you're unfamiliar with what we're talking about. So God is um, a generous God. We have a very loving and a very generous God who loves to give us Gifts, in much the same way that you love to give gifts to your children or to your friends, perhaps. Um, Last week for Father's Day, my kids gave me a packet of Zootropolis Happy Family playing cards. Um, Now, I feel what's happened there is they've brought me a gift that's actually for them. um, But that's okay, because I love them, and I want them to be happy. And it's the same with our Father. God loves his church, he loves his people, he loves us, and so he gives us certain gifts Gifts which are for our edification, for our help, and gifts that are also um, for others and for his church. And he doesn't give us the same gift. He gives us different gifts because we're all different. If I gave my son some um, pencils and paper, he'd be none too thrilled. 
In fact, I think he would probably pretend that the pencils are lightsabers and run around and fight with them. But if I gave my daughter some pens and paper, she would sit and write for hours and hours and hours because that's what she loves to do. But the gifts God gives us are not physical gifts, but spiritual gifts, or supernatural gifts, if you like. Um, and if you've been around church for a while, then you may be aware of what some of these gifts are, or you may have seen some of this in church services. Um, things like speaking in tongues, which is where you speak in a foreign or, more often than not, an unknown language that you didn't previously know. Or maybe you've come across um, a gift of healing, where you, you've seen someone be miraculously healed and made better. Um, a, a month or so ago, Steve and me were at the um, Elim conference and we were hearing from a pastor there who'd seen scars that had been left from self-harm um, disappear off people's arms. That's an example of, of the gift of healing. Um, or maybe you've heard someone bring a prophecy, um, a, a message from God, and maybe you know, it, it's about the future. That's what prophecy is. Or maybe you know, you've seen none of these things and you think, I've walked into a place full of crazy people. But don't panic. You're perfectly safe. Let me just show you this from the Bible. So in Luke 24, um, just before Jesus is about to return to heaven, and he's instructing his disciples on what's going to happen next. And he says this to me. He says, And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my Father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. And then the next book along uh, the book of Acts which talks about the formation of the church talks about what happened to the disciples after Jesus left um, it says in chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost all the believers were meeting together in one place suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. And that was just the beginning. That was the first outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And as you read through the book of Acts, you see time and time again the giftings of the Holy Spirit upon the first believers. Giftings of healings, they went around to heal people. Giftings of knowledge and wisdom um, and all sorts of different things that the Holy Spirit gives for the benefit of the church. And it continues all the way through to Acts chapter 18. And if you've been paying attention, you'll remember chapter 18 is when Paul forms the church in Corinth, which is who this letter is addressed to. And so these gifts of the Spirit were present in the church in Corinth. They were aware of these things. And God has never stopped giving the church these gifts. He's never recalled his Holy Spirit. That hasn't happened. He hasn't said, that's enough, no more giving of gifts, come back to heaven, job done. They still exist in the church today. So why is Paul writing to the Corinthians about these gifts? Well, the trouble is that some people in the Corinthian church felt that some of God's gifts were better than others. You know, when it's Christmas and then your sibling gets that present and you didn't even realise you wanted it until they got it and now it's all you want uh, and so you fight over it and you try and snatch it and you argue um, and then you sulk and then Christmas is ruined again. Yeah? That's, that's sort of a vibe up there on the screen. This was the Corinthians' approach to the spiritual gifts. Infighting and division again. You know, first, remember, right back at the start, it was a division over which leader was better, and then it was a, the division over whether or not they could eat meat, and then last week, um, it was the fact that they weren't sharing during communion. 
And the more and more I read Paul, the more I'm starting to see Paul as this exasperated parent that's just trying to get his kids from stop squabbling for five minutes. Just sit down and be quiet, will you? Listen to me. In fact, in the next two chapters, 13 and 14, he even calls them childish. Those are his words. Those of, those of you that have got kids, do you ever use this phrase? Um, but you're supposed to love each other. Your brother and sister, you're supposed to love each other. Come on, you're supposed to love your brother. That's exactly what Paul does next week. It's so funny. Love is patient, love is kind. You're supposed to love each other. Well, that's next week. We're going to get to that. Paul needs to lay some groundwork first. Um, and he needs to help them in their understanding of these gifts because something has gone wrong with them. And essentially, he says two things in this chapter. Verses 1 to 11, he says, there are many gifts, but one giver. And verses 12 to 31, he says, there are many members, but one body. So let's have a look. Beginning in verse um, 1. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. He says, I want you to be uninformed. Not scared or freaked out, because these gifts were normal occurrences, these things that happened in the church in Corinth. Um, But uninformed. There's some sort of a gap in their knowledge. There's some misunderstanding that they have. And and he he highlights this by pointing out this previous gap in their knowledge, the fact that they were led astray by mute idols. Essentially saying, listen to me, guys, before you get it wrong. You need to know this. And then he lays the first building block. He says, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Such a simple statement, and yet so profound. Anyone that professes Jesus is Lord does so by the power of the Holy Spirit. A bit earlier on, I read to you from Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit first shows up. Um, And one of the first things that happens is that Peter gets up and he addresses the crowd that had gathered to see what the commotion was all about. And all through his talk to them, he refers to Jesus as Lord. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you read that sermon for yourself, you see he calls Jesus Lord and Lord time and time again. Why is it so important? Well, if you're not sure, perhaps this morning, whether or not the Holy Spirit is present in your life, if you are able to say that Jesus is Lord, and maybe Lord's an, an antiquated word, maybe we would use master or, or commander, if you're, not, if you're able to say that Jesus is in charge of your life and mean it, then the Holy Spirit is present with you. That's true. And it's important because sometimes I think... Um, Christians have this view that there are those Christians that are spiritual, that have the Holy Spirit, that are, that are super natural or something, and then there's those Christians that aren't. And Paul says, no. If you're confessing that Jesus is Lord in your life, then you have the Holy Spirit. And of course, there are other aspects. If you, if you say that Jesus is Lord, then you need to follow him, you need to obey him. But that moment when you come to know Jesus and when you confess that he's your Lord, then the Holy Spirit is present. And he's present with a purpose. Verse 4. He says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit that distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. 
So the Holy Spirit is present in every follower of Jesus, but the gifts that he gives are not the same. There is both unity and diversity. And actually, Paul has been uh, a little bit of a clever clogs here because he's using the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, to back up his argument. Did you notice? He talks about the same Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. He talks about the same Lord. We've just talked about how Jesus is Lord. And then he talks about the same God. Three different and unified persons of God. Each of them giving different gifts, different kinds of service, and different kinds of working, but all for a singular purpose. So what's the purpose? Verse 7. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The common good. To be of benefit to each other. Paul wants them to know that they all have different gifts for a reason, for a purpose. It's not an accident. I remember when I was um, a younger Christian, I used to go to this quite um, vibrant youth group, and there were certain members of that youth group um, that would display uh, some of these gifts of the Spirit. You know, I'd hear some of them praying in tongues or, or, or see some of them um, uh, praying over people or, or giving a prophecy or a word. And I remember thinking, why can't I do that? Is there something wrong with me? And I, there was this sense in which I, I felt inadequate. I felt like God hadn't given me anything or I was being ignored by him. And actually, this was a lie that I needed to overcome. Because I was longing after gifts that God had given someone else, and in doing so, missing what he'd given me. And maybe this morning, there's a sense, perhaps, that some of you um, feel the same. You think that maybe God has got nothing for you because you haven't got a specific type of gift or a specific type of role. And you need to know that that's a lie. Because actually, God has got something for you that is unique, something that is just for you. I'm going to come on to how to find your gift in a few minutes' time. So the building block so far, if you confess that Jesus is Lord, um, you do so by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he will give you a gift, not just for yourself, but for the church as well, but it won't necessarily be the same gift as somebody else. And the next few verses, Paul offers um, some examples of the types of gifts that he's talking about. <laughs> And just to drive home his point, he mentions the Spirit a couple of times. Um, feel free to count along with me. I've highlighted them for you. Um, to one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. And to another the message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between spirits. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still another interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of the one and same spirit. And he distributes to each one just as he determines. There's five there. Six if you count distinguishing between spirits. <laughs> so let's have a look at them. So first he talks about wisdom. So that's those that know how to apply the truth, that know, those that know what a best course of action may be for somebody in, in a given situation. Um, Jesus is a, is a pretty good example um, of this. In Matthew uh, 22, Jesus is challenged by the Pharisees about whether or not his followers should pay taxes to Caesar. And the Pharisees are trying to trap him. 
because if he says yes, we should pay taxes, then he's going to be seen as a, a sympathiser with Rome and he'll lose the confidence of his followers. And if he says no, um, then he'll be seen as a, a rebel against Rome and they can set the Roman guard upon him. Um, so Jesus needs wisdom to get out of the situation. And he says, look at the money and tell me whose picture is on it. And they say, well, it's Caesar's. And he says this brilliant phrase. He says, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Really wise clever way of handling that situation. Then Paul mentions knowledge. Now, knowledge could be an understanding of the Bible. It could be uh, an understanding of God's word. It could be actually knowledge into someone's life or situation. You know, if we look at Jesus again, John 4, Jesus is talking to the woman uh, at the well, and he says to her, go and, go and fetch your husband. And she says, I haven't got a husband. And then there's this word of knowledge into our life, and he says, it's true. In fact, you've had five, and the, the, the man you're with now is not your husband. And, it, you know, we need, we need to remember that. The, the word of knowledge isn't supposed to shame her or make her look bad. The word of knowledge is supposed to reveal to her that he is Jesus. That's the point of that. He mentions faith. Um, and that's not the same as saving faith. We all, you know, have to believe that Jesus has died for us to save us. Faith, this is talking about specific faith for a specific situation to get us through, um, you know, perhaps a time or, 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 or somewhere that we want to be. You know, Jesus says in Matthew 17, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to the mountain, move from here to there and it will move. We sang. We sang about it, didn't we, just before um, the talk this morning. He can move the mountains. And in fact, Paul talks specifically about this sort of faith in the next chapter, in verse 2. And we often need people of faith to get us through tough times. He speaks about gifts of healing. That's plural. Did you notice? It wasn't the gift of healing. It's gifts of of healing, different gifts at different times given for different reasons. And again, if you look at Jesus, he never heals people in the same way. He always uses different ways of doing it. God loves variety. Miraculous powers, that's also plural. He doesn't say what they might be. You know, Jesus turning water into wine is a pretty good example there. Distinguishing between spirits, so being able to work out what is genuinely from God and what isn't. And then finally, he mentions prophecy and tongues, which I spoke about at the start. And in fact, Paul is going to talk about them in much greater detail in chapter 14. And he says, all of them are the work of the one and the same Spirit. Are these all of the gifts of the Spirit? No, they're not. In fact, towards the end of the chapter, Paul makes another list, beginning in, chapter, in, in verse 28, sorry. And here he repeats some, he deletes some, he adds some others, such as apostleship, teaching, helping, guiding people. These are simply examples that Paul is using to make his point that there are many gifts and one giver. The point of this passage is not to give the Corinthians an exhaustive list of the gift of the Spirit. And actually, this is really important. I'll tell you why it's important. It's important for us as well. I don't want you to look at this list this morning and try and figure out which gift you've been given. Okay? There's, there's three reasons I don't want you to do that. Firstly, you might be disappointed when you don't see yours there. Just because it's on the list doesn't mean, to, it's not on the list, doesn't mean to say that you haven't been given a gift. There are many, many, many other ways in which the Holy Spirit gifts us things. Hospitality, empathy, generosity, generosity patience, kindness, and so on, and so on, and so on. Secondly, the Holy Spirit might give you more than one gift. Imagine that. So, for example, if in the past you may have received, I don't know, 
say a prophetic word for someone and then you get it into your head that you're a prophet and, you know, it's only prophetic words that God gives you and then you meet someone that's not very well, you might not want to pray for them because you think, well, I haven't got the gift of healing. How do you know God isn't going to give you the gift of healing for that person as well? You might have more than one. Thirdly, just because you have a certain type of gift in the past doesn't mean to say that you will have it in the future. It doesn't mean to say that it won't change. A couple of years ago, I never had the gift of teaching. Now I know most of you are thinking you still don't, Dan. Um, (coughs) But who's to say that I'll be able to do this tomorrow? Who's to say that it won't change? In the past, I've prayed for people and I've received a picture or a word from them from God and it's been wonderful. doesn't happen most of the time. God gifts gifts and take gifts away as is needed and as is required. So if we can't use this list to figure out what kind of gift that we have, how should we figure it out? How should we approach this? Well, I think we should do it like this. Paul says that the reason we have spiritual gifts is for the common good, for the benefit of others. So, step one. Find someone who has a need. Physical, emotional, spiritual. I don't mind. You pick. Step two. Do or say what seems most helpful. Step three, discover a gift. If the person is helped, you may have just discovered a gift from the Holy Spirit. That's it. Simple as that. Maybe you pray with them and they get healed. God's given you the gift of healing at that time, on that occasion. Maybe he gives you a word for them or shows you something in their life. Maybe he prompts you and reminds you that you've been through a similar situation and suddenly you're able to offer a bit of wisdom or guidance to them. Who's to say how he's going to work? But the the point is this. We have to start with people and not gifts. Trouble always comes when we define ourselves by our gifts. Gifts are an outpouring of God's generosity. They are not our identity. Okay? We are children of God first, and because we're his children, he loves to give us gifts. But we're children of God first. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Okay, we need to move on. Um, Verse 12. So he's moving on to talk about the people in the church, and he talks them, uh, about them as though they were uh, bits of a body. It's quite interesting. Verse 12, he says, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For you were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the same spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. So the gospel is for everyone. Jews, Greeks, slave, free, black, white, thin, fat, small, big, orange... Uh, from another country, even those from Wales. Um, And if you're here this morning and you're thinking, you know, it's not for me, then I'm telling you that it is, because the gospel is for everyone. And because of that, um, variety is inevitable. God loves variety. He wants his church to be filled with all sorts. It's a good name for a church, I think, Tamathelium All Sorts. And, you know, as I thought, I overthought this this week, and I was thinking, yeah, and it's like the licorice is in all of them, so the Holy Spirit is in all of them, but they're all different. And I got, I got really carried away with this metaphor, but 
Don't worry about that. I even wrote, look, God loves even the bobbly ones. There you go. <laughs> even the bobbly ones. <laughs> so he splits into two. In verses 15 to 20, he talks about those in the church who feel like they don't belong. And then in verses 21 to 36, he talks about those who feel that certain people shouldn't be in the church. Um, so verse 15, he says, uh, Now the foot should say, um, Because I, uh, I am not a hand... I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? Just because you're different doesn't mean you don't belong. And in fact, what he's saying is even more profound than that. He's saying, you might feel like you don't belong, but actually without you there would be something missing. The body would not work as well as it could if you were here. That's how important you are. You are here for a reason. So please don't ever feel that you don't belong. And then Paul addresses those that are struggling with certain people. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving great honor to the parts that lacked it. So there should be no division in the body, but all the parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Do you ever feel that Paul maybe pushes the metaphor slightly too far? You know, uh, when he talks about this parts of your body that need special modesty. You know what he's talking about. It's the bits that Kim Kardashian leaves uncovered. <laughs> if you don't know who Kim Kardashian is, you're truly blessed. <laughs> yeah, it's fine, don't worry. But Paul's point is that the church should um, act in such a way that eliminates division. We should give special attention to those that struggle more, those that are weaker in the faith or facing difficult situations. It's actually the message he's been preaching for the last... <laughs> however many weeks we've been on this series, running behind it, you've got to look out for those that are with you. You know, I said we've got to uncover his message behind the message here. He wants them, his, this church to be this place where everyone comes and is included and is looked after and looked out for. And then finally Paul finishes um, by saying this. Now, you are the body of Christ and each one of you has, uh, is a part of it. God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Now, I, this passage seems a little bit odd to me. Um, All the way through, Paul is talking about how we all have different gifts, but they all have value. And at the end, he seems to suddenly introduce a hierarchy, doesn't he? First are apostles, then are teachers. And he says, desire the greater gifts. Actually, this is Paul dealing with some of the issues that were happening in Corinth. 
You see, the Corinthians were especially excited about speaking in tongues. That was the one that they were fighting over. You know, those kids with the present that I, I put up earlier. And tongues had little value for other people in the church. Tongues was given primarily for personal edification. And you'll notice in both lists that Paul gives, he puts tongues at the bottom. And he does it quite deliberately, I believe. See, in this list, he puts the uh, apostles first, which means sent one, someone who is sent into the world to tell them about Jesus, sent to others. Then teachers who teach others. Sorry, then prophets who bring a word from God for others. Then teachers who teach others. Then miracle workers who do something for others that is impossible in their own strength. Then gifts of healing who heal others. Um, Helpers and guides or administrators was the, the version earlier who guide and help others. And then tongues at the very bottom. What's he saying? He's saying seek the gifts that are of most use to others and God. That should be the priority. People first. Yeah? Right. Sorry if I've sped up there, but we've totally run out of time. Let me conclude um, this morning. Spiritual gifts are given by God through the Holy Spirit because God is a generous, loving Father who loves to bless his children. He wants us to use those gifts to bless others around us. Everyone who follows Jesus has the Holy Spirit. So our best approach is to ask, how can I help those around me and see what gifts emerge? The church is made up of all sorts, and every one of those all sorts is important. We need you, and you need us. And to be the most effective body of Christ that we can be this morning, we need to look out for those that are struggling, and we need to look after them. There should be no division amongst us. And perhaps finally, just to say, if you don't know Jesus this morning, then maybe you're missing out on an opportunity to be part of something amazing. Because God has got a plan and a purpose specifically for you, as you are in his church. And that starts by accepting Jesus.